From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, happy Friday. Thanks so much for uh, tuning in. Coming up on this edition of Washington Watch, pro-lifers march in Washington, D.C. today. But this year, the 50th anniversary of the horrid Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision, the marchers were marching to a different beat. With Roe relegated to the dustbin of history, the focus is now on the future, the rebuilding of a culture of life. And while the march began as a response to Roe, we don't end as a response to Roe being overturned. Why? Because we're not yet done. That's right. That was Jeannie Mancini, a former member of the FRC team, now the president of the March for Life. There is a lot of work left to be done. The pro-abortion culture of denial, a modern-day flat-earth society, continues to deny, devalue, and disrespect unborn baby girls and boys, and they trivialize the harm that is suffered by women. The United States and the world must recognize the breathtaking miracle of the newly created life of an unborn child and that women deserve better than abortion. That was Chris Smith, uh, New Jersey Congressman, chair of the House Pro-Life Caucus at the march earlier today. We'll be talking with Virginia Congressman Bob Good in just a moment. You know, one glance at the news headlines on any given day reveals America is a troubled nation. Now, Scripture makes clear the issue is not with God, but with the people. As Americans have turned to God in prayer and repentance at critical junctures in the past, there is an urgency to do the same thing right now. So Pastor Jim Garlow and I are organizing a national gathering for prayer and repentance on February the 1st at the Museum of the Bible. Dr. Garlow will join me later to discuss the need for America to pray, to repent, and how you can be a part of it this special day, February the 1st. And let me ask you this. Can you say double standard? President Biden get a bit, getting a bit touchy over questions about the various stashes of classified documents of his that have been discovered. You know, the only I, I will answer the question, but here's the deal. You know, what quite frankly bugs me is that we have a serious problem here we're talking about. We're talking about what's going on, and the American people don't quite understand why you don't ask me questions about that. Uh, the American people do want to know, Mr. Biden, why you had documents, uh, classified documents in three different places. And, and now some almost 10 years later, you're just now finding them. Hmm. Interesting. I, I, I think the president might want to develop a little thicker skin because I have a feeling I have a feeling more questions are coming. The new chairman of the House Committee on Oversight and Accountability, Congressman James Comer. Well, he joins me later talk about some of those questions you might be asking. By the way, there is a lot more to this than just violating the law as it pertains to the mishandling of classified materials. I know we've kind of grown a little callous to this because, you know, we had Hillary Clinton with the server in her bathroom. You know, of course, there's a big deal about the president, President Trump having documents at uh, Mar-a-Lago and now President Biden in three different places in his garage uh, at the uh, but, but the one that's most concerning is the first stash of documents that was found at the Penn Biden Center think tank. Now, this was a project that was launched by the University of Pennsylvania at the end of the Obama administration. And, and guess who has reportedly given millions of dollars to fund the center? 
communist China. About $54 million has gone to the university. China has been co-opting America's universities, big business and politicians for years. And we're going to talk about that a little later here on Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com, lots of resources there for you. Be sure and check it out. The word for today comes from Jeremiah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. You know, that's interesting. God said he knew Jeremiah in the womb. How do you know a fetus? How do you know a blob of tissue, as Planned Parenthood describes a baby in the womb of its mother? I wonder if God knew Jeremiah was going to be a male at birth. Well, the answer is yes. Before God formed him, he knew him and had set him apart as a prophet to the nations. As the psalmist wrote in Psalm 100, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. God not only formed Jeremiah, he formed you as well, and he has a plan for your life too. To find out more about FRC's journey through the Bible, visit frc.org slash Bible. Hey, and by the way, don't miss your chance to get a copy, a digital copy of my new book, Jeremiah, Courage in a Cancel Culture, a 40-day study guide that unpacks lessons from a prophet who stood with resolve and compassion in the face of the cancel culture of his day. To get a digital copy, text the word Jeremiah, the name Jeremiah, J-E-R-E-M-I. I-A-H to 67742. That's 67742, Jeremiah, and you'll get a link. As I mentioned today, marks a new and exciting era for the annual March for Life as thousands gathered on the National Mall for the first march in the post-Dobbs, post-Roe era. Since last summer's Supreme Court decision, we've seen states throughout the country press forward with bold pro-life legislation, even as work continues at the national level. The backdrop for this is President Biden aggressively pushing abortion on demand until birth and seeking every federal loophole to promote the left's extreme abortion till birth position. So even as we celebrate the momentous occasion of the first post Roe March for Life, we know this is only the beginning of the next chapter, and we have a lot of work to do to rebuild the culture of life. Join me now by phone is Congressman Bob Good of Virginia, a member of the House Freedom Caucus and one who has been boldly standing for life. Congressman Good, welcome back to the program. Great to be with you again, and I apologize. I'm traveling across rural Virginia to a town hall meeting, so I'll, I'll do the best I can to, to give you a, a good reception here. But great to be with you again. Thanks for having me. Well, you are welcome. Thank you for joining us, Congressman. Uh, look, the first—by uh, the way, I, I, uh, we, we, we covered a lot through the speaker's race, and you're one of the key members there in bringing the House to uh, a point of— of agreeing to go forward in a way that would allow the representatives of the people to have a voice, and I commend you uh, for that. And, and and it's already paying dividends. I wanna I wanna talk about that first week in the first first full week of the 118th Congress, pro life measures already moving out of the House. Yeah, what a privilege it was to be able to vote and approve some positive legislation that's good for the country instead of what we did the last couple of years where we just were doing our best to try to impose harmful, damaging behavior that was obviously not in the interest of the country. Great to at least be able to pass through the House, the Born Alive Protection Act, for example. Sad that we could only get one Democrat vote 
uh, to even just say that if a baby survives a heinous abortion attempt, that you got to do your best to try to save that precious, innocent life there in the hospital room. And we can only get one Democrat to join us, which just tells us, to your point in the setup here, how we're just at the beginning of the fight. The reversal of Roe uh, gives us the tools to legislate on the state and the level to limit to hopefully eliminate abortion. But there's so much work to be done. We've got half of our congressional uh, members on both uh, in both houses, rather, that uh, don't believe in essentially any restrictions on abortion. Uh, Congressman Good, I want to get into the details of some of this legislation. In fact, you have some legislation that you've introduced addressing this. But but first, I, generally speaking, I mean, it's a pretty significant day. After 50 years, we are at a point where the court has righted a wrong. This is the post-Roe world in which we're now living. What are your thoughts going forward? You know, a lot are saying this is a state's issue. Congress has no role to play in that. It's certainly different than what we heard in the past. What is the role of Congress going forward? Well, to be at a, at a position, we wondered if we would ever be just, you know, seven or eight months ago, you know, after 50 years and some 63 million innocent precious lives taken, the road decision being the most catastrophic traffic decision in the history of the country, we wondered would we live to see this day. And we have to respond accordingly and show the same courage that the Supreme Court showed in overturning that terrible decision, that unfounded decision. And it's concerned me that some on our side, to your point, have acted almost as if they wished it didn't happen, at least by their actions, and have surrendered the narrative to the left and to the media that this is a losing issue for us. First of all, it's the most morally righteous of all issues for us. The Democrats have surrendered all center ground, being the party of death, the party of celebrating abortion. But we need to be on offense, fighting for life from conception and fighting to, to, uh, to save every life. You know, I, I, again, vote for the born alive. Bill, I would vote for a pain capable. I'd vote for heartbeat. But ultimately, where we should be reaching for is the life at conception. That's what we need to pursue. And we need to be on offense and progressively boldly pursuing that. I'm proud to be the lead co-sponsor with my friend Alex Mooney of his Life at Conception Act again in this new Congress. It's already been introduced, and we'll continue to pursue that. You know, Congressman, I agree. I, I agree 100 percent with you. We should... We, we, I am pro-life at the moment of conception, as you are, and I think that should be our ultimate destination. But we've got to build consensus, and where we can build consensus, we advance. If it's the pain bill, we go for the pain bill. If it is the um, if it's the heartbeat bill, we go for the heartbeat bill. But it is standing for life. And, uh, and one of the areas that this administration, obviously working to try to uh, push the abortion pill, because we now have over 50 percent of abortions being done through telemedicine, you have a bill that you're introducing that would address that issue. Tell us about it. Yes, as you said, Tony, uh, to have half of abortions in the country be now through chemical abortion, trying to sort of, you want to say, almost sterilize the procedure to remove the human component of being even present in a so-called healthcare facility. So our Teleabortion Prevention Act would at least require a bare minimum so-called healthcare providers to at least personally examine the patient, be present with the patient, the mother, during the procedure, the terrible abortion procedure, the chemical abortion, and then at least have a a, a post-abortion in-person visit afterwards because the mother's health is absolutely threatened by these chemical abortions. There's risk to the mother. There's been damage and harm to mothers who've had these procedures. So you want to have at least a minimum amount of, you know, inpatient, I'll say care, 
care for the mother anyway, if not care for the child through these chemical abortion procedures that are you know, exploding across the country. Well, and with the FDA's recent decision of allowing pharmacies to sell this, this makes the urgency of a measure like this even more so. We're almost out of time, Congressman. I do appreciate you joining us as you're on your way to a town hall meeting. But there's dollars involved here as well. The the Biden administration, they presented the first budget in 45 years from a president that did not contain the Hyde language. Clear contrast between the two parties. They want to force taxpayers to fund abortion. Republicans want to protect it. What's that look like going forward in the budget negotiations between the two parties? Yes, the Democrat Party wants no restrictions of abortion at any time, at any reason. They don't want to recognize that it's that it's an immoral or a, 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 an unconscionable decision from a moral standpoint, and they want to force everyone's tax dollars to pay for it. We used to have bipartisan agreement, to your point, that at least taxpayers should not have to fund an abortion. Taxpayer who has a who has a moral or religious uh, concern about abortion shouldn't have to have their tax dollars pay for it. And this just shows how extreme the Democrat Party has become. And we have got to use our budgetary leverage when we regain it. Uh, unfortunately, we won't have it until October 1, other than the debt ceiling fight. But we won't have it fully until October 1 when this uh, omnibus spending bill expires. But the, the Republicans in the Senate passed uh, with the Democrats uh, in December. Congressman Bob Good, we're out of time, but again, I want to thank you for joining us. Great to talk with you, and uh, have a great weekend. Great to be with you as always. Thank you. You know what? And because of uh, the, the fight that conservatives were willing to have over the speaker, I think the Biden administration Democrats know they're serious when it comes to taxpayer funding of abortion. Stick with us. We're coming back with more. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, We are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org slash Bible. First Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online center for biblical worldview is to carry out that verse by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with the prayer guide. To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldview's monthly newsletter, visit frc.org slash worldview.
Did you know that from as early as 12 weeks, and certainly by 20 weeks, an unborn child can feel pain? Did you know the issue of pornography is growing among women? Did you know that pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion are all linked and on the rise across the globe? Issues such as pornography, human trafficking, drug legalization, and abortion are all violations of human dignity and have resulted in the devaluation of human life in our culture. Family Research Council stands firm on the principle that every life has value, ought to be respected, and has been designed for a unique purpose— Educate yourself on the harms of pornography, human trafficking, and abortion so that you can offer hope and help. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us on this Friday. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Got a couple more clips from uh, the march. Um, Again, Congressman Chris Smith, chairman of the pro-life caucus in the House, uh, had this to say. uh, Clip number three, please. Future generations will someday look back on us and wonder how and why a society that bragged about its commitment to human rights could have legally sanctioned and aggressively promoted child beheadings, dismemberment, chemical poisoning, and forced expulsion from the womb. The injustice of abortion need not be forever, and because of you, it won't be. You know, um, we've been going through the Bible, the Old Testament, as you read through it. You read some of these things. How the people? How could the people do that? You know, we... We've been reading through Isaiah. We're now into the book of Jeremiah. And, and one of the, 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 of course, it was idol worshiping, but one of the idols, uh, Molech, was one in which they sacrificed their children to. They passed through the fire. And you look at that and you how could how could people be so dumb? How could they be so cold and hard? How could they do that? You know what? I, I think people will look at, in, 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 in the future, I think they'll look back on history, as Chris pointed out, and wonder how. How could a society like ours that bragged of being so advanced and enlightened could have taken over 60 million lives of unborn children? You know, this is a turning point for the nation. We're not there where we need to go, but it is a turning point. As I've said before, the court repented, changed its mind on abortion. Now we've got to do the work of repentance. Also, uh, taking some heat for being there today. Uh, speaking at the March for Life was Tony Dungy, you know, uh, former NFL player and Super Bowl winning coach. And uh, he had this comment, clip four. Every day in this country, innocent lives are at stake. The only difference is they don't belong to a famous athlete and they're not seen on national TV. But those lives are still important to God and in God's eyes. He's making reference to DeMar Hamlin as America came together and prayed uh, earnestly for this uh, beloved football player. And he said, you know, the only difference is you don't see those. You don't, they may not have names and faces, but they're just as precious in the sight of God. Well, join me now to talk more about uh, pro-life 
priorities in the 118th Congress is Kena Gonzalez, Senior Director of Government Affairs here at the Family Research Council. Kena, welcome back to Washington Watch. It's great to be with you, Tony, today of all days. Yeah, let's start, Kena, first. Uh, Bob Good mentioned some of these, but let's just tick off of the first 10 bills that the Republicans made as priorities. Some of the first votes were on pro-life measures. What were they? That's right. There were three bills. We got two votes and one fast track to the floor that we're hoping to see come back soon. Uh, there are a whole slew of pro-life bills, and our friends in Congress have been queuing these up pretty rapidly. Uh, we got a vote on the uh, on the Born Alive Infant Protection Act. I, you mentioned that with uh, Representative Good, uh, protecting children that survive an abortion, uh, mandating that they deserve the same level of medical care as anyone else in a medical facility and can't be abandoned to die. We have uh, abortion survivors now who can testify on behalf of such bills. It's a very compelling case, and it helps people see the humanity of the unborn. Uh, we had a vote. Uh, this, these were both uh, last week on uh, Representative Mike Johnson's uh, bill. Uh, re- uh, forgive me, uh, uh, the resolution. Uh, condemning attacks on pro-life centers and churches that we've seen rampant. Uh, We heard that news at the top of the hour. Uh, FRC has documented uh, dozens and dozens and dozens of these attacks, some of them local here in Washington in the Washington area, all the way across the country up to Seattle, Washington State. And uh, folks can find that at the Washington stand. So it's really great to see Congress acting. And now we have the news today that DOJ is finally, yeah. finally, after months, taking action on that. I, I want to ask you about that, because that goes all the way back to, uh, to, to, I guess, May, early June, when these attacks began, and nothing, crickets, right. out of the Department of Justice, even though we were, uh, you know, over 80, approaching 100, somewhere in there, of these attacks. And now that we had the, the Congress pass a bill, or a resolution, as you say, s- s- expressing the sense of the Congress, Teeing up, teeing up, no doubt, uh, hearings, the Biden administration begins to act. That does show that even though the Republicans just have a, a slim majority in one chamber, they can still prompt action by a recalcitrant Democratic administration. Elections matter, and Republican, pro-life Republican oversight in the House of Representatives is really going to matter this year. Let's talk about the taxpayer funding of abortion. I was just uh, briefly touching on the way out with Congressman Good about that, because this is one of the areas where uh, the Republicans are going to have a lot of leverage when it comes to the appropriations, the, the conservatives in their battle over the speakership. This was one of the things that they demanded was the Congress going back, or at least the House going back to the uh, appropriations, individual appropriations bills, that's where these issues are dealt with. That's right, Tony. As someone who thinks and talks to people on the Hill day in and day out about how um, how budgeting works on the Hill, I think it goes past most people's heads. And probably what people are seeing in the news right now is, oh, no, the government might shut down. Our hardline Republicans going to shut down the government uh, over the debt limit. And I think people tune out. And our listeners need to know that what is at stake are our values. Budgets are reflect our values. And for too long, budgets have been put together behind closed doors in Congress and dropped, uh, as we saw just last month, 
uh, billions of dollars, literally, landing on people's desks with days or even hours to go through thousands of pages and decide whether they're going to vote up or down. No amendments, no committee hearings, nothing. And now, because of the courage of so many in the House of Representatives uh, in, the, in the votes leading up to the election of uh, Speaker McCarthy, we are going to see our values represented. Right. Our pro-life friends are going to be able to fight to defund Planned Parenthood. Already, there are six bills introduced already. We're in week three of January. We have six yeah. bills introduced to defund Planned Parenthood. All right, Kenny Gonzalez, good to see you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Of course, we're going to continue to track these uh, bills in the 118th Congress. And, and by the way, folks, the, uh, the issue of the budget in a divided government, that's, as Kena was pointing to, that's where real policy is made in a divided government because the president's not going to sign a pro-life piece of legislation, but he has to sign the budget. Stick with us. We're coming back with more Washington Watch on the other side of this break. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12- to 15-week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. As I mentioned at the top of the program, one glance at the news headlines on any given day reveals that America is a nation in trouble. Now, Scripture makes very, very clear that the issue when a nation is in trouble is not with God. His arm is certainly not shortened that he cannot save, but it's with the people. You know, as Americans have turned to God in prayer and repentance at critical junctures in the past, There's a growing sense of urgency and understanding that we need to do the same now. So Pastor uh, Jim Garlow and I are organizing a national gathering for prayer and repentance on February the 1st at the Museum of the Bible. 
And joining me now to discuss this national gathering for prayer and repentance and how you can be a part of it is Dr. Jim Garlow, founder and CEO of WellVerse. Dr. Garlow, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you, Tony. A joy to be on with you. So let's talk about, uh, you know, you contacted me a couple of months ago, and it was uh, right around the time the Congress was uh, taking up, and it was right after the election, and they were debating the disrespect, what I call the disrespect for Marriage Act, and it ultimately passed through the lame duck session of Congress. And this is a, this is kind of a red line when you look at what is being pushed by this administration and the policies that are being adopted. And there's an urgency to pray and repent for where America is and what we're doing. That's exactly right. On December the 13th in the afternoon, I turned on the TV and there uh, Joe Biden was signing into law what was what he called the Respect for Marriage Act. And he had the uh, White House area and the steps, the winding staircase filled with people, men dressed like women and all kinds of people with various sexual perversions. I was stunned at what I was seeing, the great celebration in the White House standing for that for which God destroyed Sodom. And I could hardly take it because I realized for the first time in the history of America, all three branches of government had now affirmed everything in violation of Genesis chapter 1, Fat chapter 2, the establishment of marriage, and all the verses that address the aspect of marriage and what is not marriage as well. So now we came to a new time in American history. You can't say Every, before that all three branches of government had officially gone this direction, but now at this point, they had. Right. And uh, following up on our conversation, I realized we need to, we really have one key to save the republic, and that's to repent. Our ultimate goal is not saving the republic. Our ultimate goal is obeying God, walking in his ways, o- obeying and honoring and loving him. However, a side benefit of that is the saving of a republic. And, and, and Dr. Garlow, America, we've not been at this point before. We've been sliding down this slope. There's been other places where we've kind of come to uh, an embankment where we've been able to, to, to step back, repent, and regain some ground. So this is not new that we would have, and we're going to have members of Congress that are going to be a part of this praying and reading scripture. This is not new. This is something that's happened over the, the past 246 years of our country. There are a number of presidents that have called us to pray. Um, the, the most classic one is Abraham Lincoln during the Civil War. Another remarkable one was a, I can't remember the length, 11 minutes or something prayer on radio live to the public by uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt after the bombing of Pearl Harbor. Quite an astounding prayer. Or you think of President, President Eisenhower, who joined with Senator Frank Carlson and others to establish the what was then called the Presidential Prayer Breakfast. So throughout our history, even at our founding, when they couldn't get the country started, Benjamin Franklin, of all persons, you think he might be the least likely. But he said, let's pause for a prayer. And I, I think they, they paused for three days for prayer. And God blessed it when they came back. And they were able to establish what we now enjoy as the foundation of this nation. So, Dr. Garla, tell us about, uh, tell our viewers and listeners about the event on February the 1st. February 1st, early in the morning, 6.30 a.m. It's not a breakfast. 
we're not breaking a fast, we're continuing on the fast. But so it's at 6.30 in the morning, February 1, at Museum of the Bible, goes from 6.30 to 8.30 a.m. And it's simply prayer and repentance. There'll be a few people speaking very, very briefly, calling us to repentance. Anne Graham Lotz, well-known speaker, author, and daughter of Billy Graham. Uh, Carter Conlon, well-known pastor, former pastor at uh, Times Square Church in New York City. Jonathan Kahn, who also pastors in the New Jersey suburbs of New York City, but is well-known as an author and speaker. And then Pastor Andrew Brunson, who was put in prison, uh, well-known to all this audience, uh, for two years in Turkey. Those four will be calling us to a spirit of repentance. There'll be some worship intermingled in it, but it'll be brief, rapid-fire prayers from uh, maybe 20 or so members of Congress, um, 30 or so uh, leaders of evangelical organizations, others, young adults and youth. So uh, quite a collection of individuals all coming with one common theme. This is serious prayer. It is prayers of repentance, and it'll be carried a live stream. It'll start at 8.30 a.m. Eastern time, live stream. And then it'll be carried the next day on Daystar Christian Television. Uh, 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 two different times uh, they start television network the following day. All right, uh, Dr. Garlow, we're out of time, but I'm going to encourage people to go to TonyPerkins.com, and we've got a resource there for you that takes you right to where you can get tickets. There's There, there are tickets available if you'd like to come to Washington, D.C. and be there in person. There's also information about how you can watch the live stream, as Dr. Garlow mentioned, at 8.30 Eastern time on February the 1st. Dr. Garlow, great to see you, and I will uh, see you at the Museum of the Bible on February the 1st. It's a joy to partner with you, Tony, in this important endeavor. Thank you so much. May the Lord hear our prayers. Folks, check it out, TonyPerkins.com. We'd love to have you there. Don't go away. When we come back, Dr. Uh, uh, Congressman James Comer joins us next. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742 and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. With just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text STAND to 67742. 
That's STAND to 67742. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. Welcome back to this Friday edition of Washington Watch. Good to have you with us. Be sure and check out the website, TonyPerkins.com. As I mentioned, there's information about the National Gathering for Prayer and Repentance on February the 1st at TonyPerkins.com. The Biden administration continues to stonewall inquiries regarding classified documents mishandled by President Biden. As we found, uh, we found a handful of documents were failed uh, were filed in the wrong place. We immediately turned them over to the archives of the Justice Department. We're fully cooperating, looking forward to getting this resolved quickly. I think you're going to find there's nothing there. I have no regrets. I'm following what the lawyers have told me they want me to do. It's exactly what we're doing. They were misfiled, you know, classified, Corvette. It was all C, so just kind of put them in the wrong place. Now, this deflection includes a refusal to answer whether... They will comply. The administration, the president, will comply with requests from the House Oversight Committee as they investigate. Our next guest may have an issue with that approach by the White House. Joining me now to discuss this and more is Congressman James Comer. He is the chairman of the House Oversight and Accountability Committee. He also serves on the House Committee on Education and Labor. He represents Kentucky's 1st Congressional District. Chairman, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thanks for having me back. So the Biden administration promised to have the most transparent administration in history. Um, How's that working out? I could make a strong argument that the Biden administration is the least transparent administration in history. And the way they've started off in the first two weeks of my tenure as chairman of the House Oversight Committee, which is supposed to be a check and balance on the administration, I can tell you I don't see it getting any better anytime soon. Now, part of the issue, it's been interesting, the uh, kind of an obstacle now that appears to be in your way is the National Archives and Records Administration. Now, when I saw last week the appointment of a special counsel after the the second revelation of documents, and of course we got a third, I said, you know, this really looks like this is something to try to cut off the House investigation at the pass. is that your take on what they're trying to do? Are they trying to slow down any investigation that you would do? I've always been critical of the special counsel process. Uh, this is something that 
I don't believe has ever uh, proven its worth. Uh, if you go back in history of special counsels, and my fear is when they appointed a special counsel for Joe Biden's mishandling of classified documents, that they would try to use that as a shield for saying, well, we would we would work with you. We would give you the information. We really want to give it to you. But we can't because the special counsel is right. investigating it. I always felt like there would be a special counsel, but I felt like it would be over Hunter Biden's uh, shenanigans and not Joe Biden's mishandling of classified documents. But either way, we're going to proceed with our investigation. We have plenty of sources for information uh, based on the people that uh, have received money uh, from the Biden family, based on uh, in financial institutions that that did business with the wire transactions, both to and from the Biden. So I believe that we've got plenty of places to start our investigation, and we're going to go wherever the in, uh, information leads us. But it would be a lot more helpful if the administration would work with us. And I believe the administration would provide a little credibility to the White House press corps, because I don't know if you've watched the press conferences in the last two days, but you're starting to see news outlets like CBS and CNN uh, voice their frustration over Joe Biden's lack of transparency right now. Yeah, and he doesn't like it. He, he's getting a little touchy mm -hmm. on that. In fact, I, I played a clip of him earlier. Let's play that clip again of, uh, of, of the president. Uh, clip five. You know, the only, I, I will answer the question, but here's the deal. You know, what quite frankly bugs me is that we have a serious problem here we're talking about. We're talking about what's going on, and the American people don't quite understand why you don't ask me questions about that. Yeah, they want to know why they're not asking questions about flooding in California uh, when there's documents being revealed uh, in different places uh, around him. But I, I want to step back for just a moment, Chairman Comer, because I don't want to make light of this, but it's almost like, uh, you know, I know you've long been uh, one who's been in government oversight. I mean, you've been on this committee, been mm -hmm. ranking member. It, it, it's I would it's almost like a kid in a candy store. Where do you start? I mean, you've got the border. You've got covid. You've got uh, you mentioned Hunter Biden. You mentioned and we now have these documents. I mean, where does your committee start with all that's out there that needs to be investigated? Well, luckily. Thanks to the steering committee, I have 25 other members of the House Oversight Committee. Uh, I would argue that they're some of the top members of our entire conference. Uh, they're aggressive. They work hard. They want to provide oversight for this administration. So I've got a good committee, and I've got a great staff. We went from the minority to the majority, so we were able to increase our staff. We brought in the best and the brightest. So we're, we have the bandwidth to conduct several investigations at the same time. So we you know, when you hear a day where we've requested information pertaining to Biden's mishandling of classified documents, and then the next day you hear that we uh, requested meetings with people in charge of securing the southern border, uh, we have the ability to do this on every day and follow through with everything we're doing. So uh, we're going to have a very busy job over the next two years, because not only does any administration need oversight, but you go back the past two years and the Democrats provided absolutely no oversight over tax dollars or oversight over the disastrous policies coming out of this Biden administration. So we've got to do all the normal work an oversight committee would do overseeing the federal government. Plus, we've got to go back two years and do the work that the Democrats failed to do. So we've got a big job, but I'm confident that we have the ability to get it done. So, so Chairman 
What would you say, and, and all of these things are serious, all of them are weighty matters, but is there one right now that really sticks out to you that says this is egregious and we've got to get to the bottom of it right away? Well, what I think would be most offensive to the American taxpayer is how much money was wasted during the COVID pandemic and the fact that there's not been a single hearing in Congress in the House of Representatives over any of this wasteful spending. You've all heard reports about unemployment insurance fraud because the federal government kept extending unemployment and they were overwhelmed. And basically anyone who got online and filled out an application drew unemployment for a long period of time, even if they weren't eligible. Uh, We've also heard about unemployment systems in various states that were hacked by people in foreign countries who were receiving unemployment benefit wires to their account. So you've got the COVID fraud, uh, and which we believe will be in the hundreds of billions of dollars that have, you know, not only was it wasted, but there hasn't been a single committee in the House of Representatives lift a finger to try to hold a hearing to determine the extent of the waste, fraud, and abuse, much less hold anyone accountable for the decision-making that led to the waste, fraud, and abuse. That's important. Uh, we're not finished with Dr. Fauci. You know, Dr. Fauci hasn't been before uh, at the Oversight Committee. We have a lot of questions about decisions he made that had a negative impact on every American. We have a lot of questions about tax dollars that were spent in what we believe were slush funds at the NIH and other government in- agencies that Dr. Fauci had a big influence over. So the spending of tax dollars is something that I think every American will be concerned about. And, and the importance of that is not just saying, all right, this was done, that was wrong. And, and th- I mean, obviously that's important, But it's Mm -hmm. also instructive going forward so that we hopefully maybe we can learn something and we don't repeat these things in the future. Right. That's right. You know, the the objective is to identify the amount that was wasted. The second is to try to see if there's a way to claw it back, to get it back to the American people. And then lastly, and most importantly, to hold people accountable that it made bad decisions. That affected uh, every American because the next generation of Americans are the ones that are going to suffer from this because they're going to have to pay the bill, the credit card bill that the last few Congresses have uh, given them. I know you've got a, a hearing coming up on the border. I may want to get to that, but I, I want to go back to these documents for just a moment because mm-hmm. I'm concerned about one of the things that I've seen out of this first stash of documents that were found at the Biden Penn Center at the University of Pennsylvania, his think tank that was created after the Obama administration and reports that China uh, was funneling millions of dollars to to the University of Pennsylvania into this think tank. That is very concerning to me as well. I've been sanctioned by China because of being outspoken against China and their human rights abuses. Mm-hmm. That looks like that could be some undue influence that they would have over this administration, given who was working there with the president in that think tank. This is one of the things that we requested information on over a year ago, uh, but I don't think any of the press ever picked up on it. Uh, we knew that the University of Pennsylvania was receiving more money from China than any other university in America. And we knew that Pennsylvania was funding the Biden Center for Diplomacy. So you could say that the Biden Center for Diplomacy was being funded by China. What's even more concerning is a significant percentage of that Chinese money came from anonymous sources. We want to know who those anonymous sources were, because is China just giving money to the University of Pennsylvania because 
they like the job they're doing? Are they trying to get a return on their investment? Is China investing in all these shady Hunter Biden business deals because they like Hunter Biden or they think he's a smart business guy? Or is it because they want to get something in return? Are they buying Hunter's artwork because they like his artwork? Or are they wanting to get something in return? And then when you find out that there are classified documents there where potential Chinese uh, Communist Party members are going in and out of, then it's a concern. When you find out that Hunter Biden, who's a national security risk, and Joe Biden's brothers, who have influence peddled for two decades, are going in and out of a house where, where documents are just sitting in a garage, then it's a concern. So we are investigating Biden to determine whether or not this administration's compromised, because it makes no sense of all the money they've received from China. And you wonder, why is China doing that? So that's what we're, why we're investigating. I think that the American people are seeing now from the, the document mishandling the fact that, hey, wait a minute, you mean the Biden Center was funded by China? That doesn't make any sense. We're supposed to be standing up to China. And this president's yeah. taking money from China? It's not I good. Mean, it looks like, it looks like uh, for the Biden family, that was their fortune cookie. It, it, anytime China pops up, it is troubling, given, given their track record and what they've been trying to do to America. I mean, they've, they've co-opted American businesses. They've co-opted universities and, and, and politicians. This is going to be, I think, very critical. I want to move now very quickly before we run out of time. Your first scheduled hearing, I believe, is on the 1st of February. and You're going to be looking at the border. Where do you expect mm-hmm. uh, the, the border investigation to lead? Well, I think you're going to see a lot of committees holding border hearings. Uh, this is a priority of the Republican majority. We've got to secure the border. I think everyone realizes that uh, crime is increasing, that fentanyl outbreak is increasing and affecting just about every family in America. Uh, every state's a border state now because of the influx of illegals coming into this country. It's costing the taxpayers a fortune. And yet this administration continues to uh, keep their open border policy and, and they turn the border patrol into the welcoming committee. This has to stop. So what we're going to do is start at the very beginning and let some of the frontline workers uh, who are government employees tell us exactly what's going on at the border, because I don't think the media can get a true picture of it. A lot of the media outlets aren't even covering the crisis at the border. We want to put a price tag on it. And we want to start trying to, number one, secure the border. Number two, hold people accountable that have allowed millions of people to cross that border uh, carrying fentanyl, uh, millions of people that uh, are are involved in uh, less than uh, stellar uh, activities. We've had increase in crime, increase in human trafficking. It has to stop. And this is going to be a priority for the Republican majority in the House. You mentioned the media. Do you think the media will cover your hearings? I think that you're seeing from CNN and CBS a renewed interest in the Biden investigation. Now, when I had the press conference along with Jim Jordan and the other members of the committee shortly after the election in in November to announce what we were going to do, the press was very critical. You know, outside of the conservative media outlets, the mainstream media was very critical, saying that this wasn't needed. This was a a shame that the Republicans would do this, even though the Democrats investigated Trump. Yeah, I can't even count the number of times they investigate Trump. They're still investigating him over two years right. after he left office. But but now they're saying, wait a minute, there may be something here. That's an awful lot of money from China to the Biden Center. That's an awful lot of money from China to Hunter Biden. 
And and you know what? Who is buying that artwork? You know, they should. We should know who's buying that artwork. I mean, is he the 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 most sought after artist in the world now? Because his artwork's bringing the highest price of any modern day artist. You know, none of this makes sense. And then the way they, I think that the straw that broke the camel's back was the the mishandling of the classified documents. Not that he mishandled, but how big a difference there was in how the National Archives and the Department of Justice treated President Trump handling of classified documents versus how they've treated Joe Biden's handling of classified documents. Joe Biden's got them scattered all over the place. He was vice president, so he wasn't even supposed to have them. He couldn't declassify anything because he was just vice president. And they didn't raid his house. They didn't take the security cameras. They're letting his personal attorneys go through and say, hey, we've checked everything. Everything's good here. Nothing to see here. Move on. I mean, the media is astonished at the lack of transparency, the, the, the double standard that's being demonstrated here by the Department of Justice. Well, hopefully the media's at a turning point. But I can assure you, Chairman James Comer, that uh, you always have a place here. If you want to come and and talk, we want to talk about what you're finding so the American people will know about it. Thanks so much for joining us. Have a great weekend. Thanks for having me. All right. And, folks, I want to thank you for joining us as well, and I hope you have a great weekend as well. Be sure and check out the website, TonyPerkins.com, for more information on the gathering on February the 1st. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul, found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, prepared, and taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 